welcome back to The Drop. This is Michael Saramella here to talk about everything that happened this week in surfing. We mentioned it last week. We said that there would be a big story coming. We couldn't really allude to what because we were still figuring out the details, but it is here. Uh, we have gotten to the bottom of it. Bethany Hamilton and Rip Curl have parted ways for a surprising reason. We are about to break it all down. Also, new waves, the first waves ridden at Kelly Slater's new Abu Dhabi pool. We spoke to someone who was there and got all the insider intel. Uh, there's also a few world titles, no, not world titles, or a few world records, according to Guinness and the WSL broken. Um, we will get into the details down to the tenth of an inch. We're also going to chat about EPS versus PU surfboards, which is better for when and where, and how cheap are surfers. Uh, yeah, let's drop in. And hello, Michael Ciaramella. Hi, Buck. How's it going? I should say your name more Italian, don't you think? Shouldn't I? I have experience now. Ciaramella. Ciaramella. <laughs> Um, Buckley, you seem especially cheery for somebody who received a stern legal warning this week. Look, man, it's been a big week for me. I, a few days ago, I was just surfing what many are, what many people are saying is the biggest swell Italy has ever seen. And no, I wasn't on Sardinia. I was in the fucking mainland on that boot up, up high in the boot, you know, up in that, like, it's a big old cowboy boot. And I was up like getting near that shin bone. And uh, now I am on an Atlantic island. I'll have to look at a map, but I'm pretty sure it is a Canary Island. Um, if you look at it, it's probably, it's dead. Let's say it's a Canary Island, definitely for sure. And there is really good waves coming tomorrow too. So yes, I'm very cheery. And I did receive a little Scrooge tried to get me with a little cease and desist about a leash. Um, that That was so funny. Can you imagine the humor of waking up one morning, opening your phone and seeing that you're trying to get somebody's trying to sue you over a leash. It was the funniest. I started, I was alone in a hotel room. I just burst out laughing. Well, they're trying to sue you about a leash that they're also being sued over. So yeah, there's just to get a, a little bit of context for this letter that we received. We're obviously talking about the leash patent piece that Buck published last week. Um, which talked about the different, um, you know, creatures of leisure is going after a few different brands that are allegedly infringing on their leash tech, allegedly. Uh, so when Buck published that, he got a letter from the lawyer of a certain surf brand who said, we're not sure if Brendan's a qualified lawyer. However, we're reasonably confident that he doesn't practice in the field of Australian patent law. Unfortunately, in addition to his amusingly inaccurate claims about patent law, Brendan also made far less amusing but equally inaccurate statements about Ant Brand. Yeah, some good snark in there. And I was attempted, I was really tempted to deliver some snark back. I was like, oh, at one point they were fighting me over the word naughty. I, saw, I called <laughs> leashes naughty and then I like removed that. I'm like, no. <laughs> <laughs> you can't control my adjectives. Yeah, you can. You can. You're coming after the adjectives. Um, <laughs> but luckily, I I have a great team that I work with. My my legal counsel. I have a panel of lawyers, including uh, Bruce Irons and Eric Logan's lawyer. Um, you know that fucking second one keeps shit tight, don't you? Why Bethany Hamilton left Rip Curl with three years and six figures left on her contract. Oh, boy. I think we, we thought about teasing this one, and then we're like, 
Uh, there's a big thing coming, but we can't even say anything about it yet. Well, it's here. It's here, folks. This is, there's a reason it's in the number one slot. It is the story of the week. So, Mikey, I'll let you break this one down. You're the one who wrote it. I hope you got Australian patent law correctly in it, or else you're going to have some <laughs> lawyer come at your adjectives. But why don't you give us a little overview? Well, this one is, it's it's really simple in one sense, and it's actually fairly intricate in another. Like, on face value, if you wanted to explain it in, you know, one or two lines, it's basically they disagree on transgender um, ideals and principles. So Bethany Hamilton obviously came out last year when the WSL announced their, actually it was early this year, when the WSL announced their official policy on transgender surfers, which is ultimately that surfers are allowed to compete in their identified gender category. So a transgender woman can compete in the women's division of WSL events. Bethany Hamilton came out against that, and she said, I don't think that this is fair. She made a lot of uh, arguments for why that is the case, etc. So that was one thing, right? And about a month after that, the WSL was celebrating International Women's Day during their Portugal event. And in that event, they encouraged CT surfers to wear the name of an iconic female athlete on the back of their jersey. So one surfer, who is Betty Lou Sakura Johnson, she wanted to wear Bethany's name on the back of her jersey for obvious reasons. Like, what Bethany has achieved in her career is unbelievable. Like, I mean, seriously, you know, Bethany made a really good point about this in her um, one profile that we did on her last year where she says, you know, I'm so tired of people, like, saying everything is about me having one arm. Like, just talk about me as a surfer. And, like, think about her as a surfer. She's paddled some of the heaviest waves in the world. She was one of the first women to ever do an air verse, which I feel like kind of gets overlooked in her whole thing. Um, she's put up excellent heat totals in CT events, specifically at cloud break. That's just on like the pure surfing side. Then you look at her commercial side. She has like all these books and films like she has just had such an incredible career. So it makes a lot of sense that somebody like Betty Lou would want to wear that name on her jersey. It's someone she looks up to. The WSL, however, did not feel that way um, after Bethany had criticized their ruling. So they did not allow Betty Lou to wear her name on the back of her jersey. So that was the start of things where, you know, Bethany was getting involved in this transgender conversation. Just imagine, just imagine, like if I worked at the WSL and I was like involved in that decision, which is just so petty. Imagine if they just were like, yep, cool, like noted, you'll have your jersey there waiting for you in Panish. And they just put Miley Dyer on the back and said, just imagine, <laughs> that's why I can't, that's why Stab is like the only place where I could hold semi-long-term employment because I just would have thought of that one, been too tempted and been like, yep, noted, like, great choice. And then just first seat, here you go. <laughs> like two people would have got the joke and everybody else would have been mad. I would just get let go. Um, go on, Mikey. All right. So the other side of this is that um, Bethany, two years ago, she signed a five-year deal with Rip Curl. We don't know the exact dollar amount, but we know that it's in the hundreds of thousands per year. So it's definitely a significant number. So she signed this deal with Rip Curl two years ago, five years. They obviously, they've been together at that point for 22 years. So they've had this incredibly long-standing relationship and they wanted to continue that into the future for obvious reasons. However, Rip Curl definitely prides itself on being an inclusive brand and they apparently did not like the way Bethany responded to this whole transgender issue in surfing. So that's all happening in the background. Jump ahead to July of this year. And Rip Curl utilizes a transgender surfer in one of their bikini campaigns. It's called the Summer Looks Good on You campaign. It's something that they've been doing for a few years now. And this year they included Sasha Jane Lowerson 
So you might remember Sasha's name because she, about a year and a half ago, won the Western Australian State Women's Longboard title as a transgender woman, which made a lot of waves in the surf world. People were very upset, and it actually was the thing that sort of preceded the WSL having to make their official stance on the transgender topic. So Sasha Jane appears in this Rip Curl ad, and that apparently rubs Bethany the wrong way. So at that point, Bethany and Rip Curl basically go into a conversation and say, hey, look, I don't know if it's in either of our best interests to continue this relationship. I know we have a contract that goes three more years, but look, you guys obviously have different values than I do, um, especially on this topic. And so ultimately they decided to amicably part ways and it is, yeah, I mean, an NDA was signed, which is why neither side was able to talk to us for this story. Um, But that's pretty much how it went. Yeah, she does work with my lawyer, Bruce Irons, as well, so it makes sense. Um, Wild story. When you first told me this, when you'd heard the whispers before I had, I was confused, I'd say. Um, I I get people having different views. Absolutely, I'm not ever going to get mad at somebody for having views that don't match mine exactly. I, I think there's a lot of things that shape our views that are beyond our control. And I think it's fucking stupid to be like, your views don't, they're not exactly the same as mine. That's wrong. You're stupid or you're mean. Like, but I think you get into a little bit different territory when those views could make another person or another group of people feel like shit. And this to me is in that territory. Like it is, it does suck. Like there are transgender people out there that are probably, they're hearing about this and are upset. Like they, somebody that they may have looked up to is it's one thing to say this is I don't think it's fair for people to compete but just to fight over at inclusion a three second clip in an advertisement is is pretty wild to me um that was the main takeaway for me as well it's like you know a year ago when Bethany was making the arguments about transgender people um, not being able to compete specifically transgender women not being able to compete in the women's division because it ultimately in her argument, it didn't serve the best interests of biological women. Um, and I think a lot of people agreed with Bethany on that. I know a lot of people agreed with her on that. You can read it in the comments. But to your point, this is different because in this case, it's not like Sasha's inclusion in this campaign is, you know, making it so that another woman can't also be in that campaign. There's dozens and dozens and dozens of biological women in that campaign. So, or biological females, sorry. My terminology on all this stuff is definitely not what it should be. So please take that all with a grain of salt. Yeah, a little salt, which is in Kelly's pool. Pretty interesting. We'll get there. We'll transition to that soon, if you know what I'm saying, Mikey. Oh, there you go. (laughs) Okay, but there is, I will say, um, yes, everybody's going to have their own opinion on this thing. The one thing that I will say is I actually really appreciate Rip Curl and Bethany being able to part ways amicably. Like, I think that that's a really mature thing to do because, you know, Bethany could have come out and said like, oh, you know, I, I don't agree with this on her socials and started more controversy or Rip Curl could have said, oh, you know, we're kind of like canceling our contract with Bethany because she doesn't stand for our values. Like, and it just, it didn't need to go there. And thankfully it didn't like they were both just like really mature and respectful about it and i think that's really cool and it brings us to one of my favorite comments on the site this week uh and it came in response to somebody who said like i really don't think bethany should be canceled for this um which i don't know exactly where they got that from but the response was from a woman named jody who said 
With respect, Bethany has not been canceled. She continues to have a very large platform to speak and share her views. This is a decision by two parties to no longer associate their brands. I appreciate Rip Curl's efforts to broaden their audience and represent a more inclusive community. And Bethany has the right not to follow them. We don't need to feed the culture war or canceling narratives. People can part ways in a professional manner. And I think that that sums it up really well. Yeah, that's super level-headed. And this, like the first hint at this was a photo of Bethany 20 years ago um, with a Rip Girl sticker on her board and then a recent photo without a Rip Girl sticker on her board. And it did just remind me, like, I it's hard because she is one of the most well-known surfers in the world by far. She is such an incredible surfer. And I've been hearing some whispers. I, I don't know that they're from a decent source maybe not a lot of projects lately and you hear people talking and something this big happens you kind of hear things and a source i really trust is saying that there may have been more to the picture here that maybe they're even asking for permission or like either her to kind of to pretty much green light everything she puts out on social media or to control her social media in some way, which to me is a different conversation. If she has strong beliefs, I could see how that would be a line that she's just like absolutely not crossing. So maybe I would, I think there's something more like that behind the scenes happening. Like you said, there's NDAs signed here. So what we know on paper is limited, but I think it could have been more than just a three second clip of a transgender woman in an advertisement that did this. I think there's more more to it, to be honest. So it is great to see comments like that where people aren't saying, hey, Bethany Hamilton, go to hell, or I'm sure some people are going to be angry, but it is great that people aren't like immediately jumping to that or anything like that. I don't see her getting much hate, and I think that with there being more to the picture here, I think it's uh, the right reaction. And also for anybody who's maybe worried that, you know, she's giving up her salary for the next three years, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars, I wouldn't be too worried about Bethany because now she's in a position where she can actually probably make more money just doing like one-off brand posts on her Instagram for probably somewhere in the ballpark of like 30 grand a pop. Um, we also know that she can get speaking gigs pretty much whenever she wants for somewhere in like the 40 to 50K range. So Bethany's doing fine and it just seems like this was a better decision for, for both her and Rip Curl. So yeah, we applaud them for doing so, but it's also really interesting news. So we had to cover it. Way to be adults, everybody. First waves ridden at Kelly Slater's new Abu Dhabi pool. Oh, remember back in May, Mikey, when we here at STAB, we heard a little whisper that there's a new Kelly Slater wave pool, the second in the world, being built in original thing was Dubai. We were close. We were in the Emirates, okay? <laughs> we were one city off. And then we, we found out before we published that story that it was likely Abu Dhabi. We figured out where it was. It was kind of funny. The WSL gave us nothing about it at all. They just pretty much refused to comment. I think at one point, maybe they even said flat out, no, this is incorrect. And it was just so correct. (laughs) (laughs) And now it's here. I think the most interesting thing here is that it's salt water. It's the first major salt water wave pool that we have. Yeah. And that apparently makes a difference. We, was it Holden that caught up with Strider? Sure was. Yeah. Holden caught up with Strider for this he was there of course he was all the world titles you know yeah every world champion (laughs) 
Ramsey was there too, which is cool, you know. Um, but yeah, so it was Kelly, Steph, Gabe, Felipe, Ramsey, Schreider. Is that the whole crew? Caroline. Did you say Caroline? She was there. Okay, Caroline. Yep, yep, yep. Um, we've seen limited stuff at the pool so far. We know that they're holding the goods from all the good waves everybody got, but this thing is a foot and a half bigger than the pool in Lemoore. And like you said, saltwater. Strider's writing it. He said that you notice a big difference in the way you could surf the wave with it being saltwater. He said you could actually rip this thing where Lemoore, which was funny. It's the only time I've ever really heard people like that publicly. I don't know. The surf world's relationship with Lemoore is obviously strained, let's call it. But uh, in this, he kind of made it like, yeah, Lemoore's hard to surf. Looks great, hard to surf. Um, but... This is interesting. He also mentions in this interview that it sounds like it's going to be more affordable. We don't have the information there yet, but we'll stay on top of that. Well, we at least know that it's going to be like you can go in as an individual. Surf yeah. Ranch, you can only rent it out as like a private party or whatever. And there's like that crazy day rate, you know, ranging between I think like 50 and 70,000. So at the very least, you're going to be able to walk in there as a normal person and Maybe it'll cost 200 bucks. Maybe it'll cost 2000 bucks. I'm not sure. But at least you have the option to go surf it just if you're an everyday person and you happen to find yourself in the Middle East. Yeah, which is cool, which is cool. Um, I was looking earlier just because we will have this information soon, but looking at flights. And uh, whew, at first I was looking at, you know, what's the what's the cheapest way to get there? And from Europe, I was finding flights for nearly $300. Um, Damn. from Australia is more like 800 LA is more like a grand. And then I was like, all right, if you're flying to Abu Dhabi, you're probably just going nonstop. Let's be honest. So then I was looking at flight <laughs> times, uh, straight from Europe. Uh, I think I saw one from Paris that was between seven, to eight hours. So that's going to be the closest from Sydney. It was 14 hours direct LA. Go fuck yourself. You're looking at 16 and New York's actually 13. So it's going to be a stint to get there for a lot of people. The people in my part of the world will have the easiest time in, in terms of just coming from more uh, traditional surf destinations. So it'll be really interesting to see how like the reputation this thing gets as it actually opens up because it, like, it'll have that thing going for it and the fact that like an everyday person can just book a session there, which is huge already. Like, I think that's a big part of why Lamore cops so much heat. Like I honestly think... The Surf Ranch Pro would probably, they could probably let it slide if you could just pay like 500 to get a couple waves there. The fact that it's like yeah. it's so close to outsiders, I think just fuels like the insane amount of hate that that wave gets. Like I, that definitely hurts it, right? Um, yeah. And I mean, Strider's saying this one's going to be open in four to eight weeks, which is pretty crazy because they were still basically doing beta testing with all these top surfers, which makes sense. You want people at the top of the sport to be telling you like, oh, it could be better this way or that way. They were apparently testing um, gap times between waves anywhere from two and a half minutes, which is significantly less than Lemoore, to 10 minutes. Seems like they're still figuring it out. It also sounds like they were really only running it at about 70% of its overall power as they're figuring out all the different like hydrodynamics and whatnot of it. So we can see it get a little bit bigger from here. Um, but yeah, it's all happening. And we've got a, uh, an interview with somebody who was actually there and Strider gives us everything he knows, which is great. Also, um, kind of forgot about this, but Kelly Slater had hip surgery and now he's surfing pretty well. So that's good news for him and the start of the 2024 CT season. Wow. Hipster. 
Yeah, interesting. That is good news. I think uh, I think it's going to be his year. I think this is uh, not sure about that one, but really, I am curious to see how the how this place, how the surf world reacts with this place. Especially, I mean, yeah, it's the first pool that you could pay to surf that's using that technology. But at the same time, there are some things that the United Arab Emirates does specifically regarding uh, workers' rights and some kind of human rights that people don't love. It's not the most beloved part of the world for some of what it gets into there. So I think I've also, you know, you already see some of that sentiment on social media, um, especially for a sport as that, I guess the WSL owns this technology, right? This is, this is just like WaveGuard and selling one of their pools there. This is the WSL owns this. So, you know, they're making money off this, whether or not they will have an event there within two years, I'm told. But it's, uh, it's interesting to see, we call out the first story, but just like that place does not really seem to align with the WSL's values in any way, but their budgets do. <laughs> okay. That's good. But one more thing before we go, uh, the comment, it got me so good. The best comment I saw this week, Wes Weber just said on this story, glad they made it longer. That was obviously the issue with Lamore. Just, just, just nailed it. So shout out, Wes. Laura Enever smashes no. Guinness. Enever. <laughs> Fuck off. <laughs> Laura Enever smashes Guinness. That would be a cool title. <laughs> I would watch that. <laughs> they should just cap it at that. Imagine if the WSL just sent out a press release that was like, Laura Enever smashes Guinness. I'd be like, oh, fuck yeah. <laughs> this is going to be sick. <laughs> but that's not what happened. Laura Enever smashes Guinness World Record by summoning, descending 43.6, everything counts, foot, Himalayas peak. All right, there is just a lot to a lot. It's you could leave it at that, or you have to go deep on this one. It's so hard, and I guess we have to go deep on it. But she went deep. We're going deep. I guess so. Uh, 43.6. Oh, god, how did the WCL measure this? Because we talked, I think last year, you did a story on this guy who was like maybe using a drone and some new technology that was going to help them. So, like, how did they come to this 43.6 foot number? Well, Mikey. A team of scientists and engineers collaborated on the analysis using a range of wave measuring techniques, including video footage, detailed information about the site, location of the videographers, and location of the wave to determine the wave height. Several frames from the video footage were extracted and geometrically corrected based on camera positions and angles. Using known objects such as jet skis and actual measurement of Enever's body geometry, it was possible to calibrate the images for conversion from pixels to feet. The location of the trough and crest of the wave was determined from analysis of the video from two different angles. Let's celebrate that. I had to get through the WSL weirdness in this whole space stuff, but like, good on Laura for smashing her Guinness. We talked about Bethany earlier and what she's achieved. If you see Laura Enever on land, she is just like the tiniest, sweetest, most unassuming person that you've ever seen. Like I just, I can't fathom how she managed to paddle into a wave this big. And more than that, how she manages to get like pounded by a lot of really big waves and just pops up fine. Like we've seen her at ship sterns get like crazy ones, like jumping over the ledge and stuff like that. Last year in the Vanspipe Master, she jumped off the top of like a crazy pipe wave. 
Um, and she's just like pushed herself farther and farther every single year. And just with like the cheeriest demeanor, like she's just, I don't know, always happy seemingly, but just getting absolutely pumped by giant waves. And this one seriously is such a big wave. It was during the eddy, which was the biggest, best eddy ever last year. And she and a pack of absolute lunatics who didn't get the invite, they went out to a wave relatively nearby and she just turned and sent it on a fucking bomb so good on you laura super super impressive she also she spent eight years on tour she's got a 10 at cloud break like she has serious bona fides in the surfing world joyride the eps versus pu board test wow expanded polystyrene is it versus polyurethane who would have thought? A fucking matchup for the ages, Mikey. Yeah, I've wanted to do this one forever. Um, we did PU versus carbon, which, again, is a bit of a misnomer. I know carbon's not the construction. It's just a wrap around a different type of foam. Anyway, this is just pure PU versus EPS. We got two JS zero gravity boards, the exact same dimensions, and we tested them in the pool and in the ocean. Buck, before we get into the details, what? is your take on these two constructions what do you ride most of the time what do you prefer what do you think is the difference between them you know i i ride a lot of pu in i don't like pu i think it's stupid i've been working on an article about it because it was originally developed by nazis i'm not lying i'm not lying this is true pre-world war ii leading up to it they these were the people who developed this thing that we still use to make surfboards that somebody had the idea to use it on surfboards in like the 50s and we still haven't thought of anything better um but i love the way it feels so i'm as guilty i'm i'm guilty i like pu i like epoxy when i go back to california um i do have that feeling that like sometimes even in france i feel like the waves are sometimes just gentler than in portugal like sometimes i think in portugal it's a bit like going north of Point Conception and the waves in California just feel different. You know, like the energy just feels more raw and it's kind of more difficult to surf. And then you go around that little corner and things just, on the average day, things just feel a little bit easier. And so I love I love both, but based on my current location, I would say that I ride a lot of PU just because um, I like the stability under my hooves, Mikey. What was your take going mm. into this? Well... Yeah, I mean, I've always, you know, I'm definitely hesitant to ever ride EPS in waves that are either super powerful or if the conditions, you know, are a bit hectic, like whether it's a lot of wind or whatever, just because the boards tend to be a bit lighter and they tend to react a bit more to like surface texture or to, you know, wind. So, but then other times I'll like bring, I, I just happen to have an EPS board with me and the waves will be punchy and I'll ride. I'm like, oh, this is great. Like, why do I even get all you know fussy about this so i wanted to do like a proper test because i've never had two boards that are exactly the same uh, in the two different constructions so first we went to the pool and clear fucking winner there was eps like it wasn't even close like the pu i could hardly even like put a wave together for whatever reason there was just i don't know if it was like a little bit too slow to like make all the little transitions that you need in the pool to like keep moving down the line but still do good turns wait wait um, wait and then the ep yeah what do you bring to abu dhabi Oh, I'll have to call Strider and yeah. confer with him. Okay, so, okay. Sorry to interrupt, but, but wanted to know. The one interesting thing that I found in the pool is that when we were doing the air section, I was making like so many more airs on the PU than I was with the EPS. 
it seemed that softness allowed me to like absorb the landings a bit more. Then we brought it to the ocean and these weren't even like bigger, powerful waves that we surfed, but instantly the PU shifted to the favorite. And it just, it was like hand, there was like a little bit of a like wobble to the wave or whatever. And the PU would just go straight through it. Like, you know, there just aren't those little, you don't feel those extra little reverberations in your feet that you do with EPS because it's so sensitive. Um, so it was a really good mix. It was a really good test. And of course, all these things are relative. Like it's not going to be that this is the case for every EPS and PU board, but I think it was a pretty good representation of how those two constructions perform. And I think like if I were to try to sum it up, just as like far as the general experience goes for an average surfer on these two boards. I think EPS will give you more surprising moments. You might have more fun more often on them and they might even convince you that you're surfing better. But I think everybody's best wave is on a PU surfboard. Wow, convince you that you're surfing better. That's magic. (laughs) So that's where I landed, but go give the review a watch for yourself um, and... I guess let us know how you feel. Maybe I'll do as part of the questionnaire on that. I'll make it, um, you know, other people's experience on PU versus EPS because I'm really curious to hear if anybody has some interesting or different sort of tales or experiences. So, oh, definitely do that. That that sounds like a story, Mikey. That sounds like you know sometimes like a thousand people tell us stuff and then we get information that nobody else has ever had. Yes. Because a thousand people told us stuff. Yes. Do that. Okay, I'll do that. So then we'll break it down. We'll we'll get the best thing that has ever broken down just the human experience of PU versus EPS if you do this. And we'll give the best one a free surfboard as well. So it works out for everybody. Um, go get in there. Joyride is live now on the site. And you know what? Surfboards are not the only thing that we give away on this podcast. Um, we also have a word from our sponsor. They want to give you at least some percentages off. Now a word from Fringe. Have you ever faced legal action for amusingly inaccurate claims about Australian patent law and how it relates to leash cuffs? Because I have. But I never will again. Do you know why? Fringe bars. Fringe has created the world's first protein bar made specifically for surfers who amusingly misinterpret patent law. Fringe bars are designed to provide the ultimate nutrition to fuel your next session, help you recover for your next, and help you interpret patent law better. They are fully plant-based, gluten-free, have 15 grams of protein, 0 grams of added sugar, are made with real, all-natural ingredients, and come in three delicious flavors. The big this the selling point here is they have adaptogenic mushrooms to keep your mind and body balanced. When the mind and the body and the spirit are out of whack, that's when you amusingly misinterpret patent law. So what you're gonna want to do is head on over to fringefoodco.com now and use the code STAB to take fifteen percent off your first order of fringe bars. They are available in twelve packs. Get two at once. Get 24. It's the, it's the pro move. But they are available in 12 packs of chocolate, almond butter, coconut cashew, mango hemp, or you get that variety pack. You get all three flavors. That's living. So use the code STAB to take 15% off your first order at fringefoodco.com now. And you will never again get another legal letter for somebody trying to take you to court over a leash.
All right, our last story of this episode today is how cheap are surfers? This, uh, I I had flights, you know, when you're going to get on the plane and you're like, okay, what am I going to do? Because I'm going to be miserable on the plane. How do I not be as miserable as I would naturally be on the plane? And so what you do is you, you're a Stab Premium subscriber, you eat your fringe bar, probably, and you don't infringe, you don't mess with patent law because you're better than that. And you pull up the Paul Evans article about how cheap are surfers, and you read it. I, Mikey, I had this experience where you ever do that thing where you're like preparing for a flight, and you're like, okay, what am I going to listen to? And like, what am I going to consume on this flight? I did that with this article. It's not a super long read, but I did. I was like, I saw it, and I was like, Paul talking about surfers being cheap. Absolutely, yes. I'm going to love this, and I need, I, I'm need. i going to use it as a way to get through, even though it's a two-hour flight still. I'm complaining. But I was still like, this two-hour flight, I'm not reading it till then. And uh, I had no idea what they said through that safety demonstration. I think they say brace now. They do a thing. Maybe it's just Europe, but they say, if the plane is going to crash, you brace and like show you a position. That's new. Oh, yeah. That's like when they tried to tell people to get under a desk during a nuclear bombing. Yeah, yeah, it's and they're telling us just brace, and I'm like, hey, no, I'm not, I'm not, I'm doing Paul's thing now. We're <laughs> over this. So I don't think it actually got me until the plane was in the air, but I was on airplane mode. I read Paul's piece, and he's just incredible at what he does. Was it what you expected? Yeah, absolutely. Paul's footnotes, I think, are my favorite parts of his stories. Like his, the way that he weaves in anything from like somebody that he encountered traveling in South Africa decades ago to former world champions that he's been on trips with. It's incredible. The, just the, the way that that is weaved together throughout this of just surfers almost universally being cheap. It's, I, nobody else can write this story and make me want to click be like surfers. How would you even title it otherwise? But you put his name next to him. Like, yeah, I'm gone. Yeah. This is, this is good. The whole thing is just like one running anecdote that just weaves from like one situation or person <laughs> and era to the next. Like, and the fact that it goes like, yeah, just as far back as, you know, former world champion who he'd been on multiple trips with and had never seen his wallet. Uh, he talked about some pretty good stuff on tour as well. Like there was one surfer who used to like sneak onto the plane last and just grab the the remaining business seats. And there was that's apparently cool. a group of Brazilians. Yeah, that is cool. That's just kind of just being clever, I think. And then that's there's a group smart. of Brazilians who just put their whole Tavarua tab on Bruce Irons one year during the Fiji event. Um, and then down to just like a recent example, one of the things that Paul complained about is that surfers were becoming uncheap. And I think in that way, sort of like losing a connection to the core. Uh, he referenced Kanoe Igarashi spending $600,000 in a uh, year to, to fund his career. But then it, mm-hmm. it really brought him back home during the Quicksilver Festival this year when he saw a pro surfer sneaking about a dozen desserts into his backpack. So, Who among us hasn't grabbed surpluses from a WSL VIP section? That's not, that is just, yeah, I thought that was just kind of instilled into you. So It's true. His um, description of a... I think it was like a team manager with his kids getting the, you just have to read it. I don't, I'm not going to butcher it here on, on the podcast, but it did lead me to wonder, Buck, what is the cheapest thing that you've ever seen a surfer do? Oh, uh, that I've, I've seen or, or done yourself. What, however you want to go with it. 
It's a complex answer for me. I you go first. What's it? Not even seen. If you have a different answer for seen or done, go. But like, what's personally? Speak. Okay. Tell the people who you are. <laughs> so I actually I think I mentioned one of my surf sins like over a year ago when I had to admit one was that I give people uh, what I call shitty wax, what you call good wax. I give them sex wax when they ask for wax, and I keep the food to myself. I keep I bring both with me so that I always have something to give to someone else, but it's not my precious foo. That's one thing. But the really the cheapest thing uh, that I do in surfing, and this is you know, current and well into the future is until I'm 50, I'm committing to my current weight within say five to seven pounds. Because otherwise, if I decide to get fat or even get like ripped and get like more muscular and gain weight that way, I have like 50 boards from Joyride board testing that are just going to be absolutely useless to me. So I literally have committed to just staying at my exact same weight for the next, let's call it 30 years or 20 years at least. That is an absurd long play. I get it. I get it. I just ended up with like 30 wetsuits from this best wetsuit thing that we just filmed <laughs> in Portugal. So I get it. I, I, yeah, now I'm like, this is way more, this is going to take me a while to ever break all this neoprene. Um, so I get that. But at the same time, that is, I, no, I back it. I back it. That's, that's good. You're smart. I mean, in terms of cheapness, like, I used to always travel with peanut butter. Like I just go with like a few jars. I have my I got my peanut butter guy back where I was living, and then I, you just buy bread when you're there. You got the peanut butter, and that was like that. It's a lot of meals you could do with that. You could go. You could go a lot. Like uh, people were mentioning baked beans and stuff in the comments, and yeah, I know the the bread and peanut butter thing. That's what worked for me. Wait, where do they not sell peanut butter though? Like what? What's the point of buying it at home? I think you could get a bigger jar at home. In the United States of America, everything is massive. Whereas if you end up somewhere, it's going to be like, it's going to be like four or five bucks for a little jar of peanut butter. So you get your guy at home, and you know mm. they got the deals, and so that's why you do it. You load up a few jars, you just get your bread while you're there. Bread's cheap everywhere, and so you just get through that. And no jelly, fuck jelly, fuck jam too. So get out of here with that. Anyway, let's hear from. Okay, so. Surf Europe magazine, uh, was, it died, but I think their best writer, the best writer, even though they're not from Europe, the best writer about European surfing of all time wrote this story, I think, or at least we're going to hear from him here in this voice note. So we are going to get a breakdown from a former Surf Europe editor who- The best one, break- surely. The- the best one ever, uh, bet, way better than anybody. There's nobody else even in the conversation. So let's hear from him to get this story. Hi, Paul Evans here. It's really hard to pinpoint the exact moment when the inspiration came for this How Cheap the Surface story. I do know, though, that often I have flashbacks to my seminal, in more ways than one, trip around Oz from about three decades ago. And it really helps my creative juices when I speak in an Aussie accent. It's not racist when you do an Aussie accent. It's just fun. Anyway, it was either after one of my very lucrative CT commentating gigs, or just after I'd rented out my five-bedroom Cabriton house to rich Parisians for a month in summer, that I started thinking about surfers and saving money. Oh, and about that deadline I'd promised Buck from two weeks ago. Either way, I was just after I'd extracted my fifth dump of the day, polished off the second series box set, watered the sunflowers, and surfed Max and Two-Foot Santosha 
But I went through my vast Rolodex of surf memories that predate the Millennium Bug, and I riffed up another incredible Stab Premium article. To be truthfully honest, I'm amazed that people pay for it. Oh, and that reminds me, Buck, I've also sent the invoice. If you could pay that directly to the Cayman's account, that would be very helpful. Paul Evans, over and out. Mikey, what else we got on? Well, we've been talking about SURF the past few episodes. Uh, and you know what? We just had the finale. We had our victory party, and I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Ozzy Wright is your SURF season 2.5, maybe 3 winner. He, uh, the last episode was called Fake, F for Fake, and that is when they went to the pool in Melbourne, and they did a lot of fake surfing. Um, Jake Vinson did some fakey surfing, you could say. I really liked that shove it to um, backwards barrel ride. That was very impressive. But he didn't win. In the end, it was Ozzy's day. He was voted on by the panel of judges and also by the crew at the party. That was put on by Byron Bay Brewery. And, yeah, it was another great season. So well done to Danny. And a little update. We are currently toying with the idea of doing SURF, the next one, in the U.S. So if you are a brand who maybe wants to sponsor one of our best properties, Get on the phone. Get on the email. Whatever you got to do, get in touch. Ozzy did say that 10K, the 10K Ozzy that he won for Ozzy Aussie. I should specify Ozzy won. He won 10,000 Aussie dollars. Uh, He said that was the biggest paycheck he got in surfing. So uh, that's nice. Also, it's not nice because I feel like he should have had more throughout his life. He was just so, he's always been so good and he was so unique and. Anyway, I'm happy that we were able to get him that paycheck that he finally deserved many, many cents, as we heard. A million. A million. One million cents, which is very cool. What else is on the site this week? We have a rhythm clip with Jack Freestone that is promoting their new line together. Very fun surfing from Jack. Very cool line of clothing and board shorts. Uh, we also have more Vans Pipe Masters profiles. We have Molly Picklum and Noah Bestian. We're also, um, this year, we're going to have like just a really impressive cast of young surfers. Two that come to mind are Sierra Kerr. Like, she was in it last year, and she probably should have made the final. She got that wave that would have been a 10 right at the end of her heat. Unfortunately, she didn't know that somebody was behind her, got an interference. Um, we also have Aaron Brooks, who was too young last year, but has finally hit the age requirement and is going to be competing. She is a freak in big left tube, so hopefully we get some some big waves there. And, uh, yeah, as far as what's next... Oh, we have, oh, like, oh, 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 oh. Don't jump, don't jump. I got one check out our Instagram stories. Like I said, I am I'm pretty sure I need to look on the map, but I'm almost certain I'm in the Canary Islands right now. One of the really famous ones, maybe Lanzarote, I don't know. Um we're gonna show you some stuff from EDP's Surf for Tomorrow program, a little training camp that has been going on for it's a third season now. They make a little video series out of it. Tiago Pires started it, now Adrian D'Souza. Uh, earlier today, Mikey, I attended a speech, kind of presentation, PowerPoint situation by Adrian D'Souza, our 2015 world champion, that he gave to a bunch of teenagers about how to make it in the surf world. It was fucking wild. That was really, I've never seen anything like that in my life. I've never seen a world champion tell a bunch of children how to uh, make it in the surf world before. Anyway, the waves are going to be cooking tomorrow. 
and we will show you live updates there. So now, Mikey, tell us what's next, because about a thousand surf videos is what I remember. Yeah. Uh, first and foremost, Electric Acid. We're dropping episode one with Sean Manners. That is obviously one of our biggest properties of the year. It is. Um, I don't want to say the stab in the dark of alternative boards. It's definitely different than stab in the dark, but it is where we get a bunch of shapers to shape something that they've never shaped before and give it to a surfer to ride in some really good waves. So that's exactly what happens here. And I will say that we've had a few electric acids where the boards are like borderline performance boards, just like altered slightly, but these are not that. These are very much experimental and very fun and very interesting. So episode one drops next week on Thursday. And beyond that, there's like a million other surf films that are outside of Stab that are dropping. So we've got one from Noah Dean that's currently premiering in Australia, another from Harry Bryant, uh, one from Kai Neville and Apaki, another from Torin Martin. Kaloe Andino and the 2% crew have been, you know, touring their film Smooch all around the U.S. And there's also upcoming a Russell Bjerke edit, which will be in Stab Edit of the Year, which also, it's worth noting, Bitcoin is on the rise, and we're going to have a shit-hot race to the finish. So that's what's coming up next. Um, we don't have a surfs in this week. We've gotten a few, but I ju we just haven't really loved them. So keep them coming. And if you get chosen to air on this podcast, you will win a free year of Stab Premium and maybe a fringe bar. Depends on where you're located and how Buck's feeling that week. Uh, you can send those into michaeletstabmag.com or bucketstabmag.com. Film them vertically on your phone. Keep them 60 seconds or less. Buck, anything before we go? Yeah, if Paul Evans doesn't confess to surfs, he's a pussy. Mm -hmm.